0: Dr. David Perlmutter is a board-certified neurologist and fellow of the American College of Nutrition. He's a frequent lecturer at prestigious institutions including the World Bank, Columbia, NYU, Yale, and Harvard. He also serves as an associate professor at the University of Miami Miller School of Medicine. He's the recipient of numerous awards including the Linus Pauling Award for his innovative approaches to neurological disorders. He is the best-selling author of Grain Brain and Brainwash and numerous other titles. And today he's here to chat about his latest must-read book, Drop Acid, the surprising new science of uric acid, the key to losing weight, controlling blood sugar, and achieving extraordinary health. Always a pleasure to have Dr. David Perlmutter on the show. David, welcome. I'm glad to see you. I'm glad to be here. Thanks. Oh, always a pleasure. And your book is fascinating. The title is drop acid, the surprising new science of uric acid, the key to losing weight, controlling blood sugar and achieving extraordinary health. There's a lot to unpack there. And so I'm curious when I saw the title and I said, wow, there's so many interesting topics to write about why uric acid. So let's start there.
1: That's a great question because I don't know where you begin as a neurologist, why in the world would I be interested in uric acid? Because I mean, after all, we all learned that uric acid was something that had to do with gout, right? And how often do we see gout? A and B, why is that a neurological problem? The point is that decades of research now really confirm that this isn't your grandfather's uric acid anymore, that this uric acid is a powerful mediator of metabolic mayhem. And what I mean by that is uric acid is a danger signal in the body telling it to make fat, store fat, raise the blood sugar, raise the blood pressure, which were all good things for our ancestors because it protected them. They were uh, survival mechanisms. And we now know that it's this uric acid that's actually sending out that signal and telling the entire body to prepare for food and water scarcity. So for me, these metabolic issues are really fundamentally important because they underlie the neurological issues uh, like Alzheimer's, for example, and also coronary artery disease, obesity, type two diabetes, the number one cause of death on our planet, the chronic degenerative conditions, not some virus as a matter of fact. So this has really uh, huge implications And the story is so interesting as well, which is why I wrote the book also, because, you know, we tend to look at uh, insulin resistance or elevated blood sugar and say, oh, that's bad or making body fat. Oh, that's bad. But, you know, in the context of both our primate ancestors and even our hunter-gatherer paleolithic ancestors, those were what you wanted, because if you didn't have those things acting on your behalf, you would have perished and you wouldn't have passed on your genetic a predisposition to the next generation so the idea that raising your blood sugar is bad is really contextual i mean for all of us today that's not a good thing but it paved the way for our ancestors to make it uh, during times when they wouldn't have enough food for example that could power their brains so they could avoid starvation and predation being being eaten by another animal as it were so that kind of interesting way of looking at this that lens I think is really something very useful to look at a lot of different things for example when our uric acid uh, level is elevated it bumps up inflammation in the human body well that's always bad of course right no it isn't inflammation is something that we desperately need at times because it helps us deal with infections for example uric acid turns on oxidative stress it damages our mitochondria that's always bad well it isn't if you need to ratchet down your metabolism because you don't have any food you want to compromise your mitochondria that's a survival mechanism these days with you know the abundance of food that we have of course uh, that wouldn't be what we want so that what the whole book is really based on is revealing this incredible evolutionary environmental mismatch the concept that our genome has been refined for about 15 million years as it relates to uric acid. It's why we have such a high uric acid compared to other mammals, because it allowed us to survive during times of food scarcity and water scarcity, I might add as well. And I have to indicate that this notion of living our lives in this mismatch between our evolution and our current environment is something I've been interested in for a long time. I wrote my first paper on this topic uh, a half a century ago in the Miami Herald in 1971, when I was 16, when I called out at the end of that um, op-ed, what about those of us living today with the outdated machinery? I mean, when I say outdated, I mean machinery that really wants to do everything it can to make us fat, to store fat, to reduce our metabolism, to increase our blood sugar. Why? Because for more than 99% of our time on this planet, Those were survival adaptations that were dictated by a series of gene mutations that led to us having a higher uric acid. Why does it matter today for me? It matters because these metabolic issues that I've just uh, elucidated are crippling us globally. Again, yeah, there's a virus out there, but the big issues are these chronic degenerative, meaning metabolic issues And now we know that the signaling mechanism is quite squarely in the hands of uric acid. And if we can get uric acid under control, it gives us yet another tool in the toolbox. Yeah, you've talked about so many other things. Continuous glucose monitoring, for example, to keep our blood sugars in check. The whole notion of regulating our blood sugar, exercise, getting enough sleep. And now we add monitoring and controlling our uric acid to that really fundamental list of tools in our toolbox to rein in our metabolic health.
0: So it sounds like of all the markers, all the tech where we live in an age where, where we're blessed, where we have access to so many tools in our toolkit. And from what I understand, it sounds like uric acid is something we should pay a little bit more attention to because it's potentially has a cascading effect two other markers and potentially all sorts of bad things we don't want, whether it's diabetes, metabolic dysfunction, cardiovascular disease, that if we can hone in on uric acid, it's potentially elevating other markers. We don't want elevating and leading to all sorts of bad stuff.
1: That's right. There are plenty of downstream markers that we're already familiar with that are immediately and significantly uh, traumatized, if you will, by elevation of uric acid, including Markers of inflammation, fasting blood sugar, markers of insulin resistance, blood pressure, body mass index. All of these things are downstream consequences of elevated uric acid. So, uh, this takes us upstream to gain a little bit more control. And, you know, I think that what we're seeing now, certainly in other countries like Japan that are well ahead of us in their understanding of uric acid, actually implementing mainstream medical pharmaceutical approaches to get that uric acid down in patients who do not have gout. In Japan, for example, they're targeting high blood pressure by giving people gout medication to lower their uric acid. And again, these are people without gout. And so it's time that we move away from just You know connecting uric acid to the gout picture that's what i learned in medical school that was what two maybe one lecture maybe two people get gout their toe swells it's painful their uric acid is elevated here's the drug end of story well we now understand as mentioned what a role uric acid is playing across the board in metabolic issues and how we can target it what makes uric acid what are the upstream issues and how uric acid is then made in the body, what various pathways uh, we go through to make uric acid. And they all offer us a really straightforward, simple approaches to bringing it under control. As you think about
0: elevated levels of uric acid, are there very clear cut drivers in our modern lifestyle? And then on the flip side, are there less obvious sneaky drivers, if you will?
1: Jason, that's a great question because, first, in terms of the level, I think that if you go to a laboratory and have your uric acid level done, they're going to say that the normal range is seven or below. And it's important, uh, especially for uh, mind body green followers, to realize that, you know, MBG has never been about normal range. It's been about optimal, right? Optimal health. So the whole notion of being in the normal range is basically what is average. In other words, across Our population and average is not great. We all can agree on that. So optimal would then be not seven or below, but 5.5 or below. Seven or or above is the level at which the uric acid will precipitate out in the blood and form the crystals that are characteristic of gout. But the risk for cardiometabolic issues begins at 5.5. So we want to really try to keep our level lower than 5.5 very simple for most of your um, followers. I think the simplest thing to determine their uric acid level would be to call their doctor and say, gee, with my blood work last year, what was my uric acid? Because generally it's included in the blood panels that we get each year. Again, unfortunately only in the context of gout, but that's changing. So that would be uh, what you could do, or you could get blood work done at the doctor's office and have them include uric acid now you can go online and buy a uric acid monitor Uh, here's what it looks like there are several on the market and my most recent level is i don't know if you can see that but 4.7 it's a finger stick like we used to do before we had cgm for glucose like we used to do for our blood sugar so this is a really approachable now we can know our uric acid level at any given moment and the second part of your question then where is it coming from and traditionally, I think that the uric acid narrative really centered on a group of chemicals called purines, which are found in organ meats like liver and kidney and shellfish, foods like that. And I think that there was probably a conscious effort to steer us away from the big player as it relates to uric acid, which is sugar. I think, To be fair, we've seen over the past several decades, a constant effort to keep us away from realizing what a powerful threat sugar is to our health. And it was always, no, it's fat. That's the issue. Don't eat fat, but sugar's fair game. Just not true. But the specific sugar that is directly metabolized into uric acid is fructose. And we've known that fructose... uh, dramatically threatens our metabolic health since the year 1970, when the first article was published in the Lancet saying, hey, fructose is related to all manner of metabolic issue. But we never really understood why until we got the memo that fructose does its damage because it's ultimately metabolized to form uric acid. So now we have purines, We have fructose, and the third player is alcohol. And as it relates to alcohol, wine is not necessarily associated with raised in the uric acid. Hard liquor is, but the biggest player of all is beer. Why? Uh, Because beer contains alcohol, but it also is really high in purines because it's made from yeast. So now where we understand the beer belly comes from, because you're targeting this pathway that's telling you winter is coming, make fat or you will perish that's what it's telling your physiology that's why people get the beer belly because we're activating that mechanism so again japan for example now uh, markets purine free beer that's beer that will not dramatically raise your uric acid why are they doing that because they get this relationship between elevation of uric acid and again these metabolic issues so those are the inroads the fate of this fructose as it's metabolized or periods or alcohol for that matter is at the very end or the pentultimate step is that there's an enzyme called xanthine oxidase that'll be on the quiz that then allows the formation of uric acid now the drugs that are have been around for uh, at least 3 decades to treat gout target that enzyme if you can block xanthine oxidase you can reduce uric acid formation That's why that's the drug, allopurinol, that you give to gout people. It lowers their uric acid quite handily. Well, it turns out that you can target that enzyme really aggressively with some very strange exotic thing called quercetin, who knew? Good old quercetin targets xanthine oxidase and another bioflavonoid, uh, luteolin, does the same thing, almost with the efficacy of the pharmaceutical and can dramatically reduce uric acid formation just by going to the health food store or online and uh, getting some quercetin. Dosage, 500 milligrams per day. One uh, recent study from England showed in 22 males, young males with elevated uric acid, an 8% drop of uric acid in just two weeks, taking that dosage, 500 milligrams of quercetin. There are other things that quercetin does that are really quite dramatic and wonderful. If we have time, we'll talk about them, but so it's limiting the inputs and then aggressively approaching uric acid metabolism with things like luteolin, 100 milligrams per day, quercetin, 500 milligrams per day, and even helping with the excretion of uric acid with only 500 milligrams of vitamin C has been shown to dramatically aid in the way that we excrete uric acid and all these three factors will contribute to a pretty substantial and meaningful reduction in uric acid in a few weeks. So it's really not that uh, difficult to achieve really meaningful numbers and know that you have you know, unlocked a secret here to uh, regaining control over your metabolic health.
0: I love it. Quercetin, luteolin, vitamin C, all things I take daily in our own products here. So that is always very reassuring coming from you. I, I want to come back to sugar because sugar obviously is a huge driver and in the book, you, you know, your books are always filled with great science, great data. And this specifically really jumped out at me. Although, you know, in retrospect, maybe not much of a surprise, but the average American consumes 17, one seven, 17 teaspoons, 71 plus grams of added sugar every day.
1: Pretty breathtaking. 55 pounds a year. It wow. is uh, unbelievable. And, you know, the, our consumption of sugar over the past hundred years has dramatically increased Uh, From just 1970 until 1990, fructose in itself as a sugar consumption went up 1,000%. And what we've observed is uh, that uric acid levels around the year 1920 were averaging in America about 3.5. Now they're averaging 6.0, which is above our threshold for health, which is 5.5. And that increase in the uric uh, acid has been in lockstep with our increased consumption of sugar. Added sugars in our diet, do we need any of that? The amount we actually need to be healthy is none. We wrote, Dr. Casey Means and I wrote an op-ed in MedPage today in February of 2021, which was an open letter to President Biden, right after the USDA came out with their recommendation that up to 10% of our daily calories can come from sugar. There's not a food scientist Well, there might be one, I guess uh, somewhere who would say that's a good idea, but by and large, the information that the USDA received from scientists working in the field was that is just bogus. That's contributing to our health decline, our lifespan decline, even pre-COVID and it really should be 6% or less. That's what we recommended. It hasn't changed yet. And I think we can understand why there's such interest in Americans still supporting Uh, the growth of corn to make high fructose corn syrup you know that's big industry and unfortunately you can't argue with that though we try the science really speaks for itself in that this as you called out added uh, degree of sugar is really crippling us from a health perspective and you know there were so many missing pieces of the puzzle we knew that sugar increase the risk of insulin resistance, for example, even hypertension, even elevated blood sugar in and of itself, and certainly the formation of body fat and ratcheting down our metabolism. But we didn't really fully understand how it happened until that magic piece of the puzzle, the uric acid story came to light for us. And now we get it. And that's really very satisfying for me because, you know, I always wonder about this stuff. Just as I'm falling asleep at night, I'm wondering, gosh, you know, how is this all coming together? What are these missing pieces? And when, you know, find that corner piece of the jigsaw puzzle, it's very rewarding.
0: So not only do we have a sugar problem here, you say in the book here in the States, dairy products, cereal grains, especially the refined form, refined sugars, refined vegetable oils, and alcohol make up a little more than 72% percent of the total energy consumed
1: daily, 72 percent. It's right. And you know, in this day and age where there's so much narrative about reducing our refined carbs, eating more healthful fat, and even, you know, maybe second guessing the amount of protein that we really think that we need, you know, you and I live and breathe that day in and day out with all the people we talk to, all the stuff that we read, all the stuff that you publish, of course that's not what the rest of America really, you know, the rest of the developed world is doing and thinking about, you know, we we kind of get a sense that's what's going on. It isn't. And that's where that statistic comes from as an eye opener, as you know, a real powerful explanation as to what is going on. And let me just take this a little bit further because it's really very exciting. When our bodies are convinced that we are starving or we may not have food or even water for that matter, it actually activates processes in the body that turn on the production of fructose in the human body. Think about that. You can go fructose free and not have a drop of fructose in your diet. And yet, if whatever signals uh, that clue your body into uh, thinking that it's not going to have food tomorrow are activated, and we'll talk about those in a moment then you make fructose which then makes more uric acid that puts this survival scenario into play think about that so what is it that might trigger that conversion of your body's glucose blood sugar into fructose first of all uh, just having a high blood sugar glucose will force that reaction along make more fructose and that ultimately makes more glucose it's a feed forward cycle as a protective mechanism why so that you'll make more glucose to power your brain, so you can find more food and you can avoid getting eaten by another animal. It's a vicious feed-forward cycle. But another uh, interesting thing that promotes that is if your body somehow thinks it's dehydrated, how does your body sense dehydration? If you can't find water, your sodium level will go up. It's concentrated in your blood, and we have mechanisms in the kidney that sense that. When sodium levels are higher, we start to convert our blood sugar into fructose to make more body fat. Well, why in the world would that be helpful for us if we can't find water? Why would we want to make body fat if we can't find water? And the example I like to use is there is an animal that spends three weeks or more walking across the desert without drinking water. And it has this incredible reservoir on its back. It's the hump of the camel. What do you think is in the hump of the camel? It's not water. It's fat because when the camel, and when you and I burn fat, we create two things, carbon dioxide that we exhale and what's called metabolic water. So the formation of body fat and all the triggers to make body fat are also a hedge against dehydration. So Think about that. Think about why whales have so much blubber. Yeah, it's energy. We get that. But it's also a a source of metabolic water. Hummingbirds, before they make these epic thousand mile journeys, are 40% body weight fat. Yes, a resource for calories, but also they don't have to stop anymore to, to find water along the way. And interestingly, if you want hummingbirds in your backyard, what do you put in your backyard? You put a hummingbird feeder. What's in it? Sugar water, right? Sucrose, you take table sugar, that's 50% fructose and they drink it and they make body fat like you do, like I do, like every uh, human walking the planet and really primates as well, our ancestors and, the, and uh, the primates that are living today. We all have this huge predisposition to have higher uric acid levels. Our uric acid levels as humans are four to five times higher than other mammals because in the, our evolution 14 to 17 million years ago, we lost the ability to make the enzyme that would otherwise have lowered our uric acid, an enzyme called uricase. That was really fu- uh, a fascinating study that was put was published in Scientific American. And we all have that today. So, But now we get it. Now we understand it. And that's what drop acid is all about. Now that we have this tool, we can take the courses in. we can measure our uric acid levels. We can reduce our fructose consumption, free fructose consumption, eat fruit. We'll talk about that in just a moment. We can think about our purines. I'm not saying if you choose to eat liver or kidneys, there's some really good nutrients in liver, for example, but it may be that you can't eat as much as you think. The big player though is fructose consumption. You called it out yourself. Table sugar is 50% fructose. And that doesn't even begin to talk about this thing called higher fructose uh, corn syrup or high fructose corn syrup. That's at least 55% fructose, but often even more. And that's generally the sweetener that's used in more than 60% of the foods that carry a barcode that are among the 2 million foods found uh, in America's grocery stores. Added sweetener, why? Because it'll appeal to you. It will appeal to me because it's sweet. We all have a sweet tooth. People say, oh, I don't have a sweet tooth. Nice to say that, but the fact is that's a survival mechanism. Sweet told our ancestors two things, that it was safe to eat because in the wild, sweet things are not poisonous. And it also told us winter is coming. Physiology needs to make fat, store fat, because we might not be able to hunt hunt and gather during the winter. So a powerful survival mechanism. So we all are gravitating a towards sweet, but we can use our higher brain function, our prefrontal cortex to override that and say, Hey, I get it. But now I I understand uric acid, I don't want to elevate it. I want to remain or regain and then remain metabolically healthy.
0: Let's zoom out and and go to the big question, which we, we love to always talk about here with uric acid in mind, how should we be eating? What is, what is your food philosophy?
1: taking uric acid in consideration? It's a great question because what we've learned and then developed in the book is the love diet, L-U-V, lower uric values. And the beauty of it is that you can look at your, whatever your diet of choice is through the lens now of lowering uric values. Meaning you can be paleo, you can be keto, you can be vegan, uh, and all of these diets generally will lend themselves to being uh, modified minimally to then target uric acid as well. Uh, I don't think there is, there probably is a, a popular diet today that says eat a lot of fructose. That's going to be a good choice. Though I do know people who, who tend to think that fructose is okay and you know are talking about it. I'd love to see their metabolic parameters. We know that people who are eating a lot of meat, especially organ meat, are getting a lot of purines, a precursor to uric acid, be great to see what their uric acid level is. And again, I'm not saying if you choose to eat liver and organ meats, you have to stop right now. I'm not saying that at all, but I'm saying first things first, get yourself a uric acid monitor or uh, visit your doctor, get a blood test or have your doctor just send you to the lab and find out where you are. And then first, it would be limiting dramatically the fructose consumption. If that doesn't do it, then you're going to want to look at purines and alcohol. Again, there are great upsides of liver, for example, as it relates to B12 and as it relates to iron, if you choose to eat those kinds of foods. But the modifications need to happen if your uric acid level is elevated. And... Frankly, it's beyond food as well. We know that not getting enough restorative sleep that you will know about if you're using a wearable device is also associated with raising the uric acid probably as a a stress. And again, it also considers the notion that it's not just the fructose you consume, but as we talked about, the fructose that your body will make. again, if it thinks it's dehydrated, the sodium is elevated. How does your sodium go up? Well, You know when you're watching TV and eating a bag of of salted pretzels, your sodium level's going up, and next thing you know, your body thinks it's dehydrating, it's saying, make fat, because that's where we make our metabolic water. That's the camel story. So, we now understand. We've known for uh, probably about 18 to 20 years that higher dietary salt is strongly related to increased risk for type two diabetes, and obesity. And well, we've all known about the blood pressure story for an awful long time, that's for sure. But we didn't know how it happened. Now that we see this activation of what is called the polyol pathway, converting our blood sugar into fructose, signaling us to make fat and raise our blood pressure and therefore have a resource for water. Not that we need that today. We understand why salt consumption can do that. The answer is if you're going to sit down and eat a lot of salt, by all means, drink a lot of water, then your serum sodium does go up and you don't turn on this pathway. So these are subtle things, but they have incredible importance these days when only one in eight American adults is metabolically intact, meaning 88% of American adults has at least one component of the metabolic syndrome. You know, uh, one in three American adults is not just overweight, but obese by BMI measurements. And in the distant future, in the year 2030, that's sometime in the distant future, right? That number is going to be 50%. Eight years from now, 50% of American adults will be obese. Um, When you consider all the consequences of that, it's breathtaking. And let's talk about for just a moment, how that's going to impact healthcare Uh, expenditures. It's devastating. And even uh, as it relates to children, in children age, well, 12 to 18 years, 10% have now been diagnosed with hypertension, high blood pressure in kids and adolescents. My goodness. So, you know, our lifespan for the first time since it's been measured has been declining for the past several years pre-COVID. As well. And one statistic announced just yesterday indicated for the second year in a row that there will be in America 100, or there were in 2021, 100,000 deaths directly attributed to type 2 diabetes. So, you know, these are the metabolic issues that for me are fundamental. They are profound, well beyond their brain implications. I mean, that's how, you know, I got into all this, but. Yes, as it relates to coronary artery disease and diabetes and some forms of cancer as well, these are critical health issues that need our attention. And now with our understanding of uric acid, gosh, we've got a new tool, a new player. So we put uric acid in there with the fasting blood sugar, the blood pressure, the measurement of body mass index and other markers of metabolic health that really need our attention today. In diving into the
0: science of uric acid, were there any changes you made personally in terms of your own diet and lifestyle? Where you said, oh, "I thought I was pretty healthy, but actually, I need to tweak this."
1: Cut back on salt. I, I never have had high blood pressure, and you know that was kind of my metric for. In fact, my blood pressure has always been a little bit lower than normal, sometimes really low. And you know, my connection to salt was really through that. And I did at times use a little bit of added salt with food. And you know, I began to realize that um, gosh, I'm doing this not, not, you know, not on occasion. And once I began to understand how that was triggering me to make fructose and uric acid that went away and now a lot more pepper and a lot more spices. And, you know, that's things that MBG has been talking about for an awful long time. Use the spices, use the black pepper, the turmeric, et cetera. And really, for so many reasons, makes so much sense. So that was one thing that went away. Fructose went away a long time ago. Not fruit, but not a lot of fruit. You know, an apple a day keeps a doctor away, but five apples a day and the doctor, you will pay. Meaning that you can overdo it. I mean, face it what does a bear do in the late summer and early fall in preparation for hibernation when it needs to make as much fat as it can ratchet down its metabolism so it'll store that fat raise its blood uh, blood sugar to power its brain it's eating massive amounts of fructose in the form of berries and you know i would say that the mind body green audience has probably heard of something called ampk AMP kinase, I'm glad you're agreeing with that. That's good because I wanna jump into that for just a second because I think it's so interesting to, to unpack this. We know that we have two pathways for how our body metabolizes something called AMP, the end currency of our energy utilization. Our ATP energy is broken down, phosphates are removed and we're left with AMP. AMP can go down two pathways. It can be metabolized by something called AMP kinase. And when AMP kinase is activated, it tells our body something very fundamental. The hunting is good, meaning we have an abundance of food. Therefore, we don't need to make a lot of fat. We sure don't need to store fat. We can burn our fat for energy. We don't need to raise our blood sugar. That's why we wanna target AMPK. How do we do it? Well, one of the most powerful tools is exercise. Guess what? Quercetin does the same thing. And therefore, when we target AMPK, we're telling our livers, don't make extra blood sugar, a process called gluconeo, meaning new sugar, genesis, the formation of new sugar. That's how the drug metformin works for diabetes. It says, AMPK, you better light up. We don't need to make more blood sugar. That's why diabetics who take metformin They activate this AMPK pathway. They don't make as much blood sugar. Their blood sugars are therefore better. So we really wanna do everything we can to keep AMP kinase lit up. When the bear is getting ready to hibernate, it shuts off AMPK. Why? It wants to make body fat. It wants to turn down its metabolism. It wants to store body fat. So that's what happens. It activates a different pathway called AMP deaminase. That's the evil twin. When AMP deaminase is activated, the evil twin, it's preparing the bear, you and me and everybody else for winter, making, storing fat, raising our blood sugar, all of those things that we're trying to avoid. Well, guess what? Uric acid determines which is active. When uric acid levels are elevated, it's shutting down AMPK. And I think for your audience who want to do everything they can to keep AMPK lit up, knowing that uric acid is working against you in that regard, at that level of understanding of our biochemistry, I think is really going to have some traction because here we are doing whatever we can. We're running and doing the aerobics and taking quercetin. Many people are taking uh, metformin even who don't have diabetes for that reason as well. But now we know that, gosh, we're doing everything we can to light it up and uric acid is directly targeting AMPK and shutting it down. I'm not liking that at all. Now, I know that's a bit in the weeds, but I know that your audience, they're the kind of people who really love this kind of stuff. And you can tell I do too, because it it really is so satisfying when you get what's going on. Oh, now I understand why there's a relationship then between significant weight gain or risk of obesity and having a high uric acid level, because it's telling my body to prepare for hibernation. I don't want that. So one of the other connections
0: with the uric acid, cognitive decline, something a lot of people are very concerned about, You're a neurologist, can you zero in a little bit on the connection between uric acid and cognitive decline?
1: Sure. Well, first it wouldn't be a surprise. I, I expected it. Why did I expect it? Because You know, what the fundamental mechanisms are that threaten brain health and functionality and resistance to decline are things like inflammation and the action of free radicals called oxidative stress and insulin resistance. Uric acid elevation does all of those things, so it shouldn't be a surprise, for example, that one a study, again, Japanese study, that looked at a group of 1,600 people, followed them for 12 years. And every two years during the 12-year study, so six times, they had MRI scans and assessments of their cognitive function. And what they found at the end of the 12 years was that people having a uric acid level initially of seven or greater had an 80% increased risk of becoming demented a 55% increased risk of developing full-blown Alzheimer's and a 166% increased risk of developing what's called mixed dementia or vascular dementia. So that's compelling. Another, uh, again, Japanese study looked at a group of individuals and found that those individuals right now, so didn't follow them over time, measured their uric acid levels, and then right now did neurocognitive uh, testing and found that having a higher level of uric acid was associated with a fourfold increased risk of cognitive dysfunction dementia if you will right now just in the presence of elevated uric acid so again it's not surprising because of all of these uh, manifestations of elevated uric acid that speak to me as a neurologist i mean gosh you and i have talked about this for many years whether it was in the context of um higher consumption of refined carbohydrates back in the grain brain discussions or inflammation that we've talked about being brought on by people having issues related to gluten. We've talked about insulin resistance, uh, all of those things. And now we know that the, a big player, maybe the biggest player, is how uric acid is making the body increase its production of these inflammatory chemicals, increasing body fat, which is pro-inflammatory. Increasing insulin resistance, which the brain just cannot tolerate. The brain desperately needs insulin to do its job for at least two reasons. Number one, to allow glucose to come in and power the brain. But number two, insulin in the brain is a, what we call a trophic hormone. It nurtures our brain cells. If you want to grow brain cells in a Petri dish, you add insulin and they're happy. It's like miracle growth. It helps us when we want our brain cells to connect to each other that's obviously an important thing, right? So now that we get what uric acid is doing, the numbers I quoted earlier with this profound increased risk of developing full-blown Alzheimer's, right? 50% increased risk of development of a disease for which we have no pharmaceutical intervention. We saw what happened last year with the Aduhelm Uh, approval by the FDA. And now no one's using it. Now, no insurance company is paying for it. And even Medicare has backed off using uh, supporting uh, Adduhelm. The only reason is, uh, well, one of the reasons, A, it doesn't work. And B, there is a a dramatic increased risk of small uh, strokes in the brain. That's not a good thing. But yet it got FDA approval. We'll talk about that another day. My point is that You know, John Kennedy said, the time to fix the roof is when the sun is shining. We don't really have a great tool for people once the rain begins as it relates to Alzheimer's, but let's keep them healthy cognitively by looking at things like their nutrition, by keeping their uric acid uh, low, by keeping their blood sugars in check, by looking at things like uh, insulin sensitivity, by reducing inflammation, by targeting the gut lining of all things. And looking at how elevated uric acid favors in the gut the overgrowth of pro-inflammatory species and leads to increased gut leakiness. Why are we talking about that? Because that is a powerful inroad to increasing inflammation throughout the body, including the skin, including the joints, including the brain.
0: Look, I think you've clearly made the case for an increased focus on uric acid. And with that said, we're all in our unique journeys and no matter where we are in that wellness journey, is there one recommendation you have for someone who's listening and says, all right, you know, I got some work to do, or maybe a little bit more advanced. What's the one thing that everyone should try to change in terms of their diet and lifestyle to hone in on their uric acid.
1: Well, I think the overriding one thing I would, I would say trumps everything else that would be to each day connect with a sense of gratitude. Why do I say that? Because if you do that and you're grateful for all that you see around you and all that you see within you, then everything else will fall into place. You'll want to do the things to regain health because you're grateful for this incredible machine that is your gift you'll be grateful for the lives of everybody around you and want to do things to nurture their lives you'll be grateful for the planet upon which we live and want to do things that are supportive of planetary health as well so i think that overrides everything now then as it relates to that specific i didn't know you were going to throw that right at the end well well, before
0: before you go (laughs) to the next point i want to say something because i've interviewed you probably like I don't know, between revitalizing the show, maybe four to five times, and I always ask the same question in a different way, and you always say gratitude. So I applaud your consistency.
1: <laughs> you know, I, I feel grateful that I'm having this time with you right now. <laughs> I really mean that i i um I'm grateful that I identified what my little skill set is, and that is to be able to take information that's perhaps complicated. And then make it available to as many people as will listen. So I'm grateful that it became clear to me that's my unique thing in life. So, but I am very, I'm very grateful that you and I have times together over the years. And that I have the ability, you know, this platform to share this information, then, you know, that's the empowerment part. But I guess the reason that I come up with that answer each time is I don't have to come up with it. No, I uh, know
0: you're, you're <laughs> so you're, you're, What I'm getting at is you're, you're so authentic and purpose-driven and it always comes true. And I, I appreciate, cause I always ask the question and it's different ways, you know, what's the one thing we should all do. And you always come back to gratitude and you
1: come back there cause you truly mean it. Well, the other question you've asked me over the years has been, if you could go back to being age 20, what would you tell yourself uh, to do differently? And I remember my last answer was two things. Number one, be more careful with your sun exposure. Number two, floss your floss more regularly. I told you that in Brooklyn, in, in your studio. I won't forget that because you looked at me. We were sitting next to each other and you went, ah. This, the look anyway, said those were not the answers I was, those are not the droids we were looking for, but that (laughs) said, I would say that the, the biggest issue today related to, to elevating, uh, uric acid is fructose consumption by far and away. So that would be the thing is to check in with where that's coming from. And again, you know, fruit, a moderate amount of fruit is not going to be threatening fruit contains the bioflavonoids like quercetin, for example, we talked about so. Fruit consumption in moderation is really actually associated with a a slight reduction of uric acid, vitamin C to help excrete uric acid, fiber to slow the fructose exposure. And really, you know, the truth of the matter is that there's not a huge amount of fructose in many fruits. Mangoes, unfortunately, uh, have a lot of fructose. We have two mango trees here at our house, and so you have it in moderation. One fruit in particular has been demonstrated to really be associated with a pretty dramatic reduction in uric acid, and that is tart cherries. Tart cherries have been recommended for people who have gout for a long time. And if you notice the O on drop acid right there, that's a cherry falling from the sky, indicating you'll drop your uric acid if you you consume cherries. But can you go overboard? Yes, but fruit is certainly on the table. We talked about purines. And what the literature makes very clear is there are actually some pretty high purine vegetables, for example, things like mushrooms. But it turns out that, again, you net out in the right place because of the other positive things that these vegetables will do for you. The cruciferous vegetables with their fiber, with their, their abundance of these polyflavonoids that will help reduce uric acid, certainly the vitamin C as well. So the big the big player though in our society globally rather is fructose is this incre- you characterized it earlier with your factual information we got to hang it up on the sugar and you know we are told day in and day out by industry that it's okay in, in moderation I was on a, a national morning show a couple years ago when I revised Grain Brain. And this is a big network show. And they said, your new book talks about limiting our sugar consumption, but we reached out to the sugar industry. This is in the first 15 seconds of my time on this program. And the sugar industry told us that eating sugar in moder- moderation is an okay thing to do. And I challenged, I said, yeah. And, and you remember when the tobacco companies told us that smoking was actually a good thing for our health. <laughs> and it was great because you know I wasn't back on my heels on that one. And I think they went, Oh, okay, but you know, they have sponsorship to deal with and they're and we know how that has influenced the narrative, but it's time that we call it out. Uh, We've never in our existence eaten sugar until we began, you know, refining it until sugar cane was found growing and then cultivated in, in places like India and Egypt and ultimately in the Caribbean. And then we learned how to, in 1958, extract high fructose corn syrup from corn, the corn crop. And now, gosh, it's so pervasive. That's the issue. And as I I talk about in the book, the the incredible number of pseudonyms that sugar goes by on the label that you read and say, well, I don't know what that is, but it's obviously not going to hurt me. No, that's sugar. And uh, it's time that we call it out.
0: One of my uh, favorite lines from our revitalize event is from you. I think it was back in 17 or 16, where you said something the effective. It doesn't matter if your bees are meditating in an ashram, it's still sugar.
1: That's right. The bees you know, are <laughs> making the honey, but interestingly, I, I had an Instagram post several months ago. That was the largest Instagram post I've ever created. And it it said, honey, I apologize. And people everybody had to read it because they thought I was apologizing to my wife. And actually I was apologizing to honey because small amounts of honey are actually though it contains fructose not associated with elevating our uric acid. So, you know, you're right. I did say that to you sitting next to you in uh, where we were, we were in the desert. So we were in Arizona in Arizona. And, and I was saying, it doesn't matter if it comes from bees in an ashram, but it turns out that honey is not as threatening as you might think, though it contains fructose, because there are so many components in honey that actually seem to offset that and are not associated with elevation of uric acid. So, you know, having a recipe that might have a teaspoon or two of honey may not be as threatening as we had thought.
0: I love it. I love it. So in closing... There's a lot to be concerned about in 2022, (laughs) but I'm an optimist. I know you're an optimist and I value the tremendous perspective you have being in this field for quite some time. Leave us with some hope.
1: Well, as you say, we have a lot to be concerned about in 2022 and what is the obvious thing? We don't know where we're going with these COVID issues, where we are in the current situation. How will that change? Uric acid is a player. Even as it relates to that, one study that came out in May of 21 looked at what is your risk of a bad outcome if you go into the hospital and your uric acid level is elevated. And what it found was it looked at three parameters, which are really important. One is, do you go into the intensive care unit? Number two is you go on a ventilator. The third thing was, do you die, right? Do you end up not coming out of the hospital because you've succumbed to your COVID event? And it turned out that Looking at these things, offered was correlated with a two to three-fold increased risk of in of either of those parameters, or even all three taken together, if you enter the hospital with an elevated uric acid. So even as it relates to our most concerning issue of the day, which is you know the the global event of COVID, that even keeping your uric acid in check would be a good thing to do. Why might that relate? Because the downstream issues related to elevated uric acid are things that we know set the stage for bad outcome, obesity, hypertension, type 2 diabetes, or even elevated blood sugar. So getting your blood sugar under control via controlling your uric acid is a tool. Getting your uric acid under control may well be a hedge against having a bad outcome as it relates to being hospitalized with COVID. Other things people consider are making sure their vitamin D levels are adequate, making uh, deciding if they're going to become immunized or vaccinated. I chose to become vaccinated. But these are all things that we should be thinking about when confronted with this pervasive day in and day out change in our world, which is this, you know, I think that's the biggest issue to consider. And yes, we do have a new tool and tool, toolbox. And that is keeping our uric acid where it needs to be. And again, in closing, I'd like people to understand a couple of things. First, that number is not seven. It is 5.5. The number seven was derived solely as it related to the risk of developing gout. A level of 5.5 or lower. That's our goal. That's our goal for optimizing health. Number one. Number two, you can go online even and get a home uric acid monitor. Or you can call your doctor, email, text, do whatever you normally do and say, Hey, contact the lab. I'd like to go in tomorrow. First thing in the morning fasting and have my uric acid level checked.
0: Get your uric acid check people. My, we, we share the same number four, seven, by the way, I went back to my labs before this, this interview. I'm not surprised. Uh, again, congratulations on the book. Fascinating drop acid. Dr. David Perlmutter. Always a pleasure.
1: Jason, great to see you. And it it looks like we may have the opportunity in this year to see each other in person. I'm looking forward to it. I love it. Thank you so much.